Okay, so today is the High Holy Days, and I was going to say to you, Happy High Holy Days in Hebrew, but I don't know how to say that, so I won't. Although I could just say something and you believe it, but I can say, what's that? Dave Stark would help us out, right? But I can say, which means Happy Sukkot, and today, at sundown, actually been in Sukkot. So it's kind of neat that I didn't preach this last week when it was canceled when I was supposed to, because this is even more significant being able to do this today. Isn't that neat? Put it up more in my mouth. Do we always do this? Really? Okay. Anyway, so here goes. <laughs> there are, and what I'm going to do is this is more like a teaching than a preaching, but this is so incredible. The things that I'm going to go over about the Old Testament and the seven feasts of Israel, and how they are a perfect picture of God's calendar, his prophetic, redemptive calendar, is just amazing. You know, I had someone say to me the other day, and not putting that person down by any means, but they were a little curious how I was still Jewish, even though I was now a Christian. And that is so common because the church has been robbed of understanding their Jewish heritage. So it is kind of a mystery. But here's the bottom line. Thousands of years ago, God promised the Jewish Messiah would come through the Jewish bloodline to the Jewish people. And when that Jewish Messiah came 2,000 years ago, he didn't even preach or speak of the good news of the kingdom of heaven being at hand to anybody but Jews. And when they started getting saved, it was only to Jews. And when 3,000 were saved here and 5,000 were saved here and God started adding to the church, and then he realized that multiplication was even better than addition and he started multiplying the church and on and on, it was all Jewish people. And then God said, but my original plan right from the start was that the whole world, every tribe, every nation, every tongue would have salvation. So he gives Paul a vision who then goes to the house of Cornelius and then the gospel is open to all the Gentiles. But guess what? The Jews never converted to anything. It's like the Jewish Messiah comes to the Jewish people 2,000 years ago and then 2,000 years later, if a Jew receives his own Messiah, he then has to quit being a Jew and become a Christian. It's not the case. They are even more Jewish than they ever were if that was possible because they have received their own promised Messiah. All the scriptures have come to pass. You know, uh, Ken Silverman, some of you know him, owns Lake Norman Tired Auto. The first time he ever came to our church, someone introduced him to me and said, Ken Silverman. I said, oh, Silverman, are you Jewish? And he said, I used to be. And then this Holy Ghost cockiness came over me, which he does a lot. <laughs> and it's the first time I ever met the guy, and I looked at him, I said, really? That's amazing. So you were actually able to go back into your bloodline and remove yourself from whatever tribe you came from through Abraham, and you're no longer a Jew. How did you do that? And he looks at me, and he goes, well, I mean, I'm a Christian now. I said, oh, so you accepted your Jewish Messiah. Anyway, now Ken loves the fact and, and, and actually was writing to his relatives that he's still Jewish. He really did not know he was still Jewish. And now he loves the fact that he's still Jewish and, and shares this with everybody at Lake Norman Tires. So anyway, so there are seven feasts. Now, I love numerology, but not as much as Jesus does. But don't you just love the number seven? I mean, seven days, 7,000 years, everything is seven in completion. And so guess how many feasts there are? There are seven feasts. Now, the first four feasts, and, and let me just say this. 
Every feast is for the purpose, two purposes. Okay, one is the purpose of remembrance what God did. All right, there, there's an old saying that uh, I think it was Sam Nadler. I don't know if he uh, coined it or not, but I love repeating it. Every Jewish feast is this. They tried to kill us. They couldn't. Let's eat. <laughs> so every feast is a remembrance of what God did, but it's also a foreshadowing of what God is going to do. And the first four feasts is a remembrance of what he did, but it's also been fulfilled. So real quick, let me let you go through the first four feasts. We're going to go through the, the, the whole high holy days. We're going to uh, just touch on the feast, but then we're going to really get into Sukkot. Most of you know it as the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, which is starting at sundown. But the first feast is Passover. Am I getting reverb? Can you hear it? I can. Okay. Um, I can really hear it. But the first feast is Passover, okay? And that's the one that most people know. It comes in the spring. It comes in April. It's actually what God said to use this day as the first day of your year, not Rosh Hashanah. But he said that because it begins all things. <laughs> then the Jews were taken into Babylonian captivity. And when they came out 70 years later and the Talmud was written and the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees started to explain everything God said, they said, okay, we'll make, you know, Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, the New Year. But God said it was Passover. Everything revolves around Passover. So what is Passover? Real quick. Passover is when they took a lamb, a male lamb, a one-year-old spotless male lamb, and they brought him into the house, and they inspected him, and then they sacrificed that lamb, that lamb and they put the blood of that lamb over the doorposts of their, their homes. And then when the angel of death came and passed over their houses because he saw the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, and that's how they were delivered out of Egypt and eventually into the promised land. Okay? But we know that that was a foreshadowing of the Lamb of God, Jesus, the male lamb, who was inspected by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priest and Pilate himself for the same amount of three days, or excuse me, four days, as we're to inspect the lamb in our home. And then, is there any way to kill this reverb? I just keep hearing, hearing myself talk. Do you normally hear that? Oh, you do? Ah, okay. <laughs> I like hearing me. No. Anyway, so he, he was inspected by those for four days. And when they finally said, Pilate, I find no, nothing wrong with him, no blemish in him, kill him. That lamb was sacrificed and his blood was put over the doorpost of our heart. And we don't experience the second death. When the angel of death comes, he passes over us. So God said, do this, okay, to remember what I did for you in Egypt. But it's going to be a foreshadowing of something I'm going to do. And he did it 2,000 years later. And then there's the Feast of First Fruits that comes three days after Passover. It is the barley harvest, the poor man's harvest. And it's when the high priest holds up the grain offering before the Lord as an offering to the Lord. He raises the grain offering. And it was three days later on the Feast of First Fruits that Jesus, who became poor for us, was risen from the dead. And I totally believe he was coming out of that grave right as that priest was holding up that grain offering. And then, 50 days later, because everything is based on Passover, 50 days later is Shavuot. Shavuot is when the law is given. And the letter kills and the spirit brings to life. And so when the law was given, 3,000 people died that day. But 
During that feast, remember it was the Feast of Shavuot, one of the seven required feasts, so all the people were in Jerusalem of every tongue and tongue and language, times and language, and they all heard Peter speaking in their own language because they were all there giving the salvation message of God, and 3,000 people were saved that day. We call it Pentecost. Pentecost is just the Greek word for the Hebrew word Shavuot, which is the giving of the law. So there it happened. Not coincidence that Jesus died on the Passover or that he was raised on the Feast of First Fruits or that the Spirit of God was given. We call Shavuot the beginning of the nation of Israel because it was the first time that all those people had come together and the law was given and they were now united by the word of God and the law and had their identity. The, the Israel, Israel was birthed on Shavuot and the church received the Holy Spirit on Shavuot, on Pentecost, and the birth was church. The church was birthed on the day of Pentecost. Is that so cool? Okay. Then, on the last day of Shavuot, Shavuot is seven weeks of seven. God loves that number seven. Seven weeks of seven, 49 days, and on the 50th day is what's called the Feast of First Fruits. So you think, now shouldn't that be called like the Feast of Second Fruits? But it's the second feast of first fruits. That makes sense, right? Only this is the wheat offering, which is the rich man's offering. And so this feast of first fruits comes the birth of Israel, the birth of the church, those risen. Jesus is the first fruits of those risen from the dead, okay? But now we are the first fruits of those that are alive in Christ as the church who will reign with the Lord forever. So those are the first four feasts, and you need to realize we don't know the day or the times of the things to come, but we know the seasons. We have this prophetic calendar. If you think that somehow God is going to be to the day on the first four feasts, and then for the next three things that are supposed to happen, ending with the coming of the Lord, that they have nothing to do with the Jewish feast days, then continue not caring about Jewish feast days. But if I were you, I'm concerned with this. All right? So the next three feasts are the return of Messiah. They are to be remembered, but they're also to look at for foreshadowing. So the first one is Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, Shana Tovah, Happy New Year. Okay? But it's Judgment Day. Did you know that? Did you know that? That the Jewish New Year is Judgment Day. It is when God comes to us to visit us for a couple of days. It's a scary time but an exciting time. It's when the Jewish people realize that in just 10 days from now, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is coming, when their name will either be or not be written in the Lamb's or not the Lamb, but in the Book of Life. Okay, so it is called the Feast of Trumpets. What does Revelation say about the trumpets? God is going to blow that last trumpet, and we're going to be gathered together. Rosh Hashanah is a remembrance of when Joshua blew that trumpet and called for the whole assembly of Israel to gather together before crossing over into the promised land. It's when God gathers his people together to prepare them for the promised land. That's why Revelation says on that last trump, when God gathers his people together for us to go into the promised land. Elul is the month before Rosh Hashanah. And it is a time when we begin reflecting on the fact that next month is the day of judgment, that God is coming to visit us. Now, 
A lot of people have this mindset that the God of the Old Testament was this really mean guy, but the God of the New Testament is really nice, and he's so nice he even makes up for when he used to be mean, but I guess he repented. Well, Elul is synonymous for I am for my beloved, and my beloved is for me. It's believed that Rosh Hashanah, the first day of the new year, God comes to spend a few days with us. It's during the month of Elul that we are to begin repairing our relationship with God so that when he comes next month on the day of judgment, we're ready. But we don't look at that judgment as when God comes to point his finger and yell at us and condemn us. It's when he comes to spend time with us. He's for us and we're for him. As a matter of fact, one of the customs that you do during Rosh Hashanah is you take apples and you dip it in honey because you are preparing for a sweet new year. You know, it, it says in um, Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews eleven six. You need to write that one down in your mind because think about this. When we think of God, do we think of God as the rewarder of those who diligently speak, seek Him? If He was coming today to judge us, would we be fearful, or would we have anticipation of the sweet goodness that our loving heavenly Father, who says He's for us and we're for Him, is going to bring us? We have to have faith that He is. I think we're all cool with that one. But we have to have faith to believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I don't know how many of these scriptures I actually gave you or how many. Oh, here it is right there. Okay, good. Okay. Rosh Hashanah is also the Feast of Trumpets. The Judgment Day is synonymous with the blowing of the trumpet. Isaiah 27, 13, the trumpet is blown, Israel gathers, and they return to the land. Now let's look at Corinthians 15, 51, and 52. And by faith, I'll believe it's behind me. Sorry. <laughs> all right. Actually, let me read it. It says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And then 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And again, all these are talking about when this happens, to be gathered together with the Lord, to be with him forever. The exact same thing as Rosh Hashanah. So there's, you know, pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, the aisle somewhere between mid and post-tribulation, all those, all those different theories, and the church never agrees on it. But there's one thing the church can agree on is that 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 are true and that that event will happen. It will take place, even though we may not know when, but I guarantee it's going to be somewhere around September. It's going to be somewhere around Rosh Hashanah, although we don't know the day or the hour. Jesus says that we're not to be like those who don't believe, who don't know the season. But he tells us we can look at the signs and we can know. He says that when he comes like a thief in the night, and we all quote that scripture, he goes on to say, but it shouldn't be like a thief in the night to you because you know these things. Isn't that awesome? Unless you've completely separated yourself from your heritage and the Jewish roots and follow the feasts and know them. And then you could be deceived because you just don't know. It's believed... <laughs> 
So, we have Rosh Hashanah. We have Jesus come to visit us. Now, there's 10 days of awe. It's called the 10 days of awe. It's the time when we reflect. It's when we do mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are good deeds. Because hopefully my good deeds are going to outweigh my bad deeds. And, and I used to so remember that. Um, you know, I never had Jesus in my life. I never had the presence of the Lord in my life. But I did always have God in my life. Because right from kindergarten, I was going to the Jewish schools. And I remember I used to pray. My dad died when I was five. And I used to pray every night. Now, as I got older, the prayers changed. Like, Jesus, please make the bed, or not Jesus, God, please make the bed stop spinning. And prayers like that. But even as a kid, I prayed. And I used to do this. And I remember so clearly. I would say to God, I'd like to talk to my dad. Could you go get him? <laughs> and then I would wait and lie there and wait. And in my mind, I pictured this platform heaven, even though that I think about it, it was dark, it wasn't light, <laughs> but, and I would picture God going and getting my father, and I waited for him to bring him back to the edge of heaven, and then I would talk to him, and I would tell him things that were going on, but I also remember praying to him, and trying to remember the good things that I did that day, and the bad things that I did that day, because we believed that there were three books, there was the book for those that were inherently evil, they just did bad things all the time. And their names were not written in that book, the book of life. And then there was the unbelievably righteous, the Cory Tembooms, <laughs> who were totally righteous, and their name was definitely in the book of life. But then there was everybody else. And everybody else had an opportunity between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, to get their names in that book based on doing mitzvahs, good deeds, fasting, praying, going to Shul Temple. And then if they did it, if they were good enough, and they merited the favor of God, their name could be written in that book. It was only good for one year. And then it was all over again. Wow. Yeah. All right. I want to throw some scriptures out. Luke 10, 20. says, we are to rejoice that our name is written in the land. We have that assurance forever. Revelation 2015, anyone's name who's not written in the book of life is thrown into the lake of fire. But when Jesus died on the cross, he died once and for all. Luke 1250, I'm not sure if I had that one up there. It says, it is finished. It's done. There's no longer any other atonement for sin. And so when we try to do things to get into God's favor, when we try to do things to have our sins forgiven, we're saying, Jesus, that ridiculously torturous, terrible sacrifice that you paid for me just wasn't enough. It is so much easier to work for your salvation so you can at least feel like you've done something than to sit back and accept it by faith. But it only comes by faith. Jesus, Yeshua, cleanses us from our sins once and for all. So let's throw up these scriptures. There's one, two, three, four, five, I think six, seven, ending with um, Hebrews 10.10. 10. Okay, so let's start with the Hebrew scriptures. Who does not need daily... Okay, okay. As those high priests who offer up sacrifices for his own sins and then for the people's, for he did this once and for all when he was offered, when he offered up himself. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered into the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly wait for him. 
he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundations of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. For when, we, for when they would not have ceased to be offered, for the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But that will... Why can't I read? But that will we have been sanctified. Really, no wonder I can't read it. By that we will have been sanctified through the offering of his body of Jesus, the Messiah, once and for all. Okay, so I think it's kind of been driven home that Jesus was the sacrifice once and for all. But that doesn't mean we should not recognize going through poor, the day of atonement, and be conscious of it. All right, so that brings us to Sukkot. Okay? God blows the trumpet. It's the day of judgment. He's gathering, gathering his people. He purifies us with his own blood. And what does he do that for? What's the purpose? So that he can now come and tabernacle among us. And that is exactly what's going to happen in the next three major events in God's redemptive calendar. He's going to call us. He's going to redeem Israel. Remember, it's the 144,000 Jews that are sealed to preach the gospel during the tribulation period. And all of Israel will be saved. The Bible says all of Israel will be saved. So it's all focusing back on Israel. If you're not watching what's happening politically in Israel, you are missing what is happening in God's timetable. It's all about Israel. If any of you in here today are Semites, anti-Semites, sorry, it's all about Israel. Okay. Someone put on Facebook this morning, Jesus was a Palestinian. If you want to read a really nice dissertation of the facts, <laughs> read my reply. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So now comes Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Booths, where we tabernacle with God. Now here's what's cool. There are eight days of Sukkot. There are the seven that are the same, and then there's the eight. So there's the seven again. Seven means completion. Eight means new beginnings, right? By the way, this Rosh Hashanah is 5779, okay? All right, so here's what happens in Sukkot, and this, this is so ridiculous. And Becky, you don't realize what you were preaching when you were up here preaching. Marlon, when you started off, I yelled it was because you were giving my scriptures. I mean, it, it literally, it was so, so awesome. So get into this, ready? This is referred to, ready, Byron, ready, Tony? The season of rejoicing. Now, Byron and Tony, for those of you who don't know, have been talking about how God has been real, revealing to them and showing them all this about joy. So here we are tonight at sundown. We enter into the season of rejoicing. Seven days of continuous, joyful celebration, followed by one day of solemn assembly on the 8th. Now, I know you guys didn't know this about Sukkot, but here it is, Sukkot. The joyful celebration. God is just revealing that to you. Sukkot, Sukkot is the culmination of the feast of God's redemptive calendar. It's the final feast, the ingathering, the one that we will celebrate with Messiah. The reason it's called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths is because in Leviticus, God commands Israel to live in booths for one week so they can comm commemorate when he brought them out of Egypt into the Promised Land and they slept under the stars. That's why the Sukkot, or the Sukkah, has no roof. So you see the stars. 
It has three walls. God's going to get into the number three real big here again, too. But the three walls, okay, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit wall, the God, priesthood, and man wall, the Abraham, Jacob, uh, Isaac, and Jacob wall, okay, the three pieces of matzah in the Echad, in the Afikoman, okay? <laughs> and Orthodox Jews, they pray in there, they eat in there, and they even sleep in there. So growing up, we were extremely poor. I would make my Sukkot out of a cardboard box. So, yes, I was one of those people who for a time lived in a cardboard box. <laughs> All right. Now, here's some of the things that you do during Sukkot. You wave the lulav. The lulav is hyssop and myrtle and palms. And you wave them to the four corners of the earth as you yell, Hosanna, save us. Now, does that sound familiar? Yeah. Waving palms. Oh, now you remember, it's Palm Sunday. But wait a minute. This is during the High Holy Days. This is during a fall feast. What were the Jews doing, waving palms, crying out Hosanna, in the springtime Passover feast? I'll tell you what they were doing. The Messiah, salvation, was coming in, riding on a donkey into Jerusalem, to be crucified for their salvation. They didn't know what else to do but to start waving palms and crying Hosanna. All creation was screaming Hosanna. They just joined in on it. They couldn't help themselves. They probably didn't even know why they were doing this. The high priests and those they knew why, and they were really, really ticked off that the Jews were doing this. They were very upset that they were calling him salvation, him the salvation himself, riding in on a donkey, in triumph, and even though it is the springtime and it is the Passover, they are waving the lulav. So cool. Jesus is the salvation of the lulav. Okay? Let's jump forward to Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says, Some of you will not taste death until you see me in my kingdom. Now, a lot of people have a problem with that. They all died. He hasn't come. But if you read what happens next, it says that six days later, Jesus took James, John, and Peter, and he went up to what's called the Mount of Transfiguration, and he was standing there with Moses and Elijah. And Peter opens his eyes, and he sees Jesus totally in white, totally in glory, with Moses and with Elijah, and he gets a glimpse of the kingdom. He saw Jesus coming in the kingdom, just like Jesus said that he would just six days earlier. And so what does Peter do? He looks and says, shall I build a tabernacle? Shall I build a booth? Shall I build a sukkah for you and Elijah and Moses? Because what happens when Messiah comes to rule and reign forever with us? We celebrate Sukkot. We celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles when Messiah, when God himself comes to tabernacle with us. And Peter knew that. He wasn't just flipping off gibberish. Jesus is the tabernacle. Amen. By the way, if you've been to Israel, and don't we have some people in our church right now in Israel? Jealous. Maya's there. That's, oh, that's right. Maya's there and he's Hannah's there, right? And the balls, is it Judy and, and, and Jerry Ball? So, so cool, so cool. Okay, so now, 
During the first six days um, of Sukkah, the high priest would go down to the Pool of Siloam. This is another thing that happened, okay? But if you go to Israel and you go through Hezekiah's tunnels, which are still there, and it's so cool to do that. And, and um, the last time I went through, I weighed about 80 pounds more than I weigh now, so it's very difficult getting through the tunnels. I'd like to go through again. I can just run through them. But before it was just like, oh, Lord Jesus, get me through this tunnel. But anyway, so when you come out to the end of the tunnel is the Pool of Siloam. And they will tell you, as you look up from the Pool of Siloam, and you see the temple, or you see the abomination of desolation talked about in Daniel, called the Dome of the Rock, but where the temple used to stand, when you look up and you see that, they just unearthed a road that went from the temple straight down to the Pool of Siloam. It always bothered me that Jesus comes out of the temple, sees the blind man, throws mud in his eye, and tells him, go wash in the Pool of Siloam. It's like, come on, Jesus, he's blind. Why don't you just, like, heal him? Why don't you make him have to figure out how to get to the pools alone? It wasn't hard. He just walked straight down the road. And that's what the high priest did. So for six days of the feast, the joyful, continuous celebration and feast. And by the way, during uh, Yom Kippur and so forth, you're fasting. So now you're fasting for your redemption. But then comes the celebration time when you are with your God, when you are tabernacling with him. So it's feasting. That's why every time you see prayer and fasting in the Bible, it's a misprint. It should be prayer and feasting. So, anyway. All right. So this is what the high priest would do. He would take a golden pitcher from the temple. He would go down to the Pool of Siloam, and he would draw out the water from the Pool of Siloam. And then he would come back to the temple, and he would walk one time around the altar, and he would pour out the water. And he did that on day one, and day two, and day three. And day four, and day five, and day six, and then God's favorite number comes up, day seven. And when he did it this time, he would go down, and all the worshipers with their lose would be following him, crying, Hosanna, salvation. And he'd pull, pull it out of the pool of Siloam, and he'd go to the temple, and this time he would walk around the altar seven times. And as he walked around the altar, a frenzy would build, and the worshipers would be worshiping. And it would get louder and louder as they were crying, Hosanna, God with us, God save us, salvation has come. And then he would pour out that water around the temple the seventh time. Well, if you remember, if you remember, Jesus' brothers, I don't have any of this up there. John 7, 2, Jesus' brothers didn't believe that he was Messiah. And you can't blame them, it'd be kind of hard. Can you imagine one of your brothers or sisters, brothers told you, yeah, I'm the Messiah, it's like, yeah, right. But they encouraged Jesus in a mocking way because Sukkot was here. They encouraged him to go to the temple and reveal himself as Messiah. And Jesus responded to them and told them his time had not come. Okay? So when does his time come? His time came in John 37 and 38 because that was the seventh day and we know that because this was the day of the great feast. The seventh day is called the day of the great feast. So the Bible made sure that when John described the day that he went to the temple, he made sure that he told you what day it was. So you turn to John 37, 30, John 7, 37, and 38, and what you find is on that great day of the feast. That's the day that Jesus decides. He doesn't go on day one, two, three, four, five, six. He waits until the high priest 
is walking around that altar seven times. And the worshipers are screaming Hosanna. And there's this massive frenzy. And the priest is pouring out the water. And then Jesus, in a loud voice, cries out and says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who comes to me and drinks, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And Marlon, on Sukkot today, couldn't help but by the Spirit of the Lord to share that very thing. And Becky encouraging people to go out because the water is flowing. Is that not so cool? In the words of our beloved pastor, are y'all getting this? <laughs> it's in the notes. <laughs> That's ridiculous, isn't it? His, I mean, literally, crying Hosanna as he comes in. And then saying that I, I'm the water. I'm the water. You guys keep pouring. And you know why they were pouring the water out? They were pouring the water out and somewhere in my notes here. Because it had to do with, um, with Isaiah. Where, where literally God told them that during this time they're to go and pull the waters out and, and, and the waters of salvation. It's in here somewhere. Anyway, trust me, it's in Isaiah. If I come along on it. But anyway, like I said, it was a remembrance of what the priests were doing, but it was a foreshadowing of what was going to come. And it's coming. Isn't that awesome? So now there's another thing. It keeps getting better. And I might go a little over, but it might depend so you guys don't help yourself. Okay. So listen to this one. On the first day of Sukkot, they do something else pretty cool. They erect in the treasury, which is the court of the women, 75-foot tall candlesticks. That's a seven-and-a-half-story building. Do we have any buildings in the entire town of Mooresville that are seven-and-a-half stories tall? Uh-uh. I don't think we do. Taller than any building in Mooresville. 75 feet tall. The, 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 the wicks were made out of the garments of the priests. And the garments of the priests wasn't like, oh, where can we get the best deal on them? I think Walmart's got good priestly garments this week. They were a special cloth made from a special animal, done in a, woven in a special way, using a very, very distinctive special dye. These, and, and by the way, just so that you know, they are rebuilding all the clothes of the temple right now. There is a temple institute you can visit in Israel where they are redoing the temple clothes. They're even going right down to the dustpan and broom that will be used to sweep up the ashes of the sacrifice. Yeah. Because I'm telling you, the Antichrist is going to come. And when he comes, he will set himself up in the temple. And the temple is not here right now, but the temple will be. But anyway, just to go on. So in the court of the women, in the treasury, they would erect these 75-foot candles, and men would have to climb up on multiple ladders to light them with a wick of the garments of the priests. And it said that all of the courtyards of Jerusalem were lit up, no shadows. And these would last for seven days. Can you just imagine 75-foot-tall candles lit for seven days? All right. But they were extinguished on the eighth day. Because you remember what the eighth day was called? It was the day of the solemn assembly. Now, if you've been in the midst of 75-foot candles for seven days straight, and you've been feasting, and you've been having the time of your life, and then on the eighth day, those candles are put out, it's a solemn assembly. So remember now, Jesus goes into the temple on the seventh day to proclaim that he is that water. Drink of him and never thirst again. He is the one who, within just a few days, will be poured out 
the Bible says, poured out for us. But John 8, 2 says, as he's been accounting for all this, he says, but early the next morning, which would be the eighth day, okay, all these events happened, and then they brought a woman caught in adultery before Jesus. And I've seen lots of pictures where Jesus is kind of like out and he's drawing on a sidewalk. You remember how he did that whole drawing thing? Okay, you know where Jesus was? All you have to do is read down to, I think it's 820 of John. John tells us where Jesus was when all this happened. Guess where? The court of the women. He was in the treasury. And John makes sure that we know that that's where Jesus was. So John took the time to tell us what day he was there and where he was when this next event took place. And the next event is that Jesus, standing in front of Father, Son, Holy Ghost candlesticks, God, the priesthood of man candlesticks, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob candlesticks, that have just been extinguished in a solemn assembly, and he says, I am the light of the world. Oh, wow. My notes say, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> I mean, is that amazing? All these feasts that are found in Leviticus 23, we are commanded to observe. So here's the question. Still? Do we still observe these? Do we still care about these? Do we still know about these and so on and so forth? So let's review what God did. God set up a system where he calls his people together with a trumpet to come spend time with them and to renew his relationship with them. Then he gives them 10 days to evaluate their lives over the past year so they can repent and get themselves right for the coming year. And then he comes and lives among them for eternity. So here I think is the problem that we have today. Because we've been forgiven once and for all, because honestly they had to do this to obtain their righteousness. It was important that they did this. This is how they did get their salvation. We joke about or we make fun of that we don't need to do these things for our salvation. But they did because Messiah had not yet come. But because he's come, because we have been forgiven once and for all, because we don't get our righteousness by observing these laws and, and, and participating in these feasts, okay? It's easy to take for granted what our loving Heavenly Father's done for us. The feasts were set up as remembrances for his people and foreshadowing of what was to be fulfilled. The first four have already been fulfilled. The next three are yet to be fulfilled. Because believers who are not Jewish don't recognize these feasts, they miss out on remembering, or excuse me, they miss out on remembering what God has done for us, but also they miss out on keeping that return ever before him. Because there's not a year that goes by when the high holy days are coming up that I don't wonder, is this the year? Is this the year when my Lord returns? Now, I don't have to get right with God because I'm always in right standing with God, okay? But, you know how, well here, let me just read the way I put it, okay? Well, here's what I put here. Have we forgotten who's on the throne of our lives and maybe even replaced Jesus on the throne of our life with us? Have we lost sight of why we're here what is our purpose in the kingdom? Okay? Today of all days, the beginning of Sukkot, when the God of salvation in the Lulav, the living water in the Pool of Siloam, and the light of the world 
and the 75-foot candlesticks is calling all of us to renew our faith. Not because we're not in good standing, not because we're not the righteousness of God and Messiah, but because we are still trapped in the flesh, and while it is him who keeps us, it's us who needs to be brought to remembrance of him. Now, does that make sense? Yeah. I'm not saying we should be doing these feasts and participating and remembering because it's part of our salvation. I'm 100% certain that all those scriptures that said once and for all it is done means that once and for all it was done. And that's not where we find our salvation. But we also are in this flesh. And we also go through times where the Lord is more real in our lives and then sometimes less real in our lives. Where we're more committed you know, it says that all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. And sometimes we will take the fact that we are not under the law as an occasion to please our flesh. But our liberty is not for the pleasing of our flesh. Our liberty is to say that we don't have to do certain things like become all things to all men. It's all for the sake of the kingdom. It's all for the sake of the gospel. But sometimes we lose kind of our, our way on that. So this has nothing to do with us making sure that we have salvation and getting right with Jesus. But it does have everything to do with looking at God's redemptive calendar, watching the feasts, seeing what he's done, seeing how he is all through the feasts. It's Jesus and everything. Isn't it some, some band has a song where they go through every book of the Bible and they mention what, who Jesus is? He is. You know, he's the wheel inside of the wheel and, and, or, I mean, Ezekiel and all that kind of stuff. It, it's pretty cool, but Jesus, Jesus is through it all. So basically, what I thought today and it is so cool that it is today, it's the code, that we start this. That, and I, let's ask, it's, look at this, 5 after 12, the ministry team. Can we have a ministry team come up? I'm going to let Marlon close this because he's got anointing all over him today anyway. But I think it would be a good time to come back forward, ask the ministry team to come up, and just not, not like I said, and I want to be so clear about this, not because we need to get right with God again, okay? But because to renew our walk, to renew our faith, to make sure that he is on the throne of our lives during this season for the coming new year. It's just a beautiful time to be able to do that. And it's a time that God set up to bring us all in remembrance of that. So it's okay to do that, Jewish or not. Amen? Amen. Amen.